0: take your Bibles out and turn with me to 2 Kings. Don't don't sit down. I'm going to have you, you'll, you'll be seated in just a minute. Just, just stay on your feet with me. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7 will be the narrative that we will explore today. We're in this series, let me just say, we're closing out the summer series called Retro, where we're actually going back and looking at 2016's series, those four-week series and We're taking those four-week series and how God spoke to us then, and we're repackaging those series in a one-week, like, knockoff format. But today, as we close out this series, I want to do something different. I don't want to look at a series. I want to look at a passage of Scripture that we spent some time in last year. That passage of Scripture is 2 Kings chapter 4. And I believe God is going to use that passage of Scripture to speak into our spirits today. And In fact, look at your neighbor and say, God has a word for you. Look at your other neighbor and say, God has a word for you. Here's what the word says. Let me lead you to it. 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my boys as his slaves verse 2 Elisha replied to her how can I help you tell me what do you have in your house your servant has nothing there at all she said nothing I have nothing there at all except a small jar of oil I need you to circle verse 2 your servant has nothing the Bible says she cries out to the man of God Elisha I, I have nothing what's in your house he says nothing She said, nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing left in my house. It's amazing to me how the dynamics of difficulty cause us to lose focus of the assets that we do have. Hello. It's amazing to me how the dynamics of difficulty will cause us to announce or pronounce judgment over our lives, the judgment of nothingness. I have nothing, I can't, I don't have enough. What I do have is not enough to take care of the problem that is staring me in the face. But what we often forget is that God is a God of multiplication. And God, if you'll take your not enough and place it in his hands, your not enough becomes more than enough. Let me tell you something. The anointing that God has placed upon your life is not an anointing that will be used later to bring some future event into existence. The anointing that God has placed on your life is not for some future happening. The anointing that God has placed upon your life is for the now. Let me say it this way. The anointing that we have received from God is is placed upon what you have now, not what you're waiting for. Grab hold of that. The anointing that God, Jeremiah, has poured out on your life is for what you have now, not what you're waiting for. You see, people, I often hear them say, you know, when I have more money, that's when I'll give. No, the anointing is on what you have now. And if you'll use what you have now in the way that God has anointed it to be used, it will ultimately bring more in the future. Hello? Well, I'll begin to love when I feel more love. No, no, no. The anointing that God has placed upon you is the love that he's placed in your heart right now. And if you'll use that love the way he wants you to use that love, you'll ultimately walk into the restoration that he has for you in the future. Good heavens. The anointing is on what you have now, not on something that you're waiting for. Hmm. The problem, though, is this. In our culture, we tend to use the words, I can't. And I won't synonymously. Can't and won't seem to be synonymous. We say I can't, but what we really mean is I won't. You see, God can work in your I can'ts, but he will not work in your I wants. Your I can'ts are no problem for God, but your I wants are definitely a problem for you. In fact, the Bible says that God is willing to do what you cannot do. The Bible says that he shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. But for you to experience the abundant supply of God, there's one thing that must take place in your life. And that is your willingness to be empty for God so that God can pour into you and you can continue to pour out of you what God has poured into you. God wants to pour blessing into your life, but he also wants you to pour that blessing out of your life. God wants to pour restoration into your life, but he also wants you to pour that restoration out of your life. God is running after those who will chase after him and realize that he has something for them even when they don't think they have anything at all. What you need to grab hold of today is some of you have proclaimed over your life nothingness, but God is going to use that nothingness and turn it into something. Some of you are looking for the full life, but like the old preacher says, you need to be living the filled life because God is looking for those who will take what he's deposited in them and further the kingdom. God is looking for those who realize that even though you're in a place of emptiness, even though you have pronounced the judgment of nothingness over your life that is the best place to be because that is the place that god can do things that you cannot take credit for is somebody gonna help me preach up in this place You see, you look at nothingness in your life and you view it as if it's a curse. I know it's not comfortable to be in the place of nothingness, but you have to think about Moses. Moses was in the desert complaining about the nothingness in his life, but God showed up in the form of a burning bush. Think about David. David was lonely in the despair of loneliness, in the emptiness of loneliness, but God showed up. Joseph was sold into slavery, and in the midst of being sold by his brothers into slavery, the Bible says when he was in the pit and when he was in prison, that the Lord was with him. I think about Paul, who wrote from a prison cell, a Roman prison cell. He wrote this. He said, my life has been poured out like a drink offering in service for the Lord. What I am trying to say is that you can experience the goodness of God, but in order for you to experience the infinite goodness of God, you've got to be willing to be empty and to pour yourself out for the goodness of God. Lord, have mercy. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. Here it is. Here it is. The measure to which we are filled is directly proportionate to the level of our emptiness. You see, God can't pour into a vessel that is full of self. God can't pour into a vessel that has already been pre-packaged with our own desires. God can't pour into a vessel and bless that vessel when we've packaged that vessel in such a way that we're asking God to bless it because it has in it what we want it to have in it. Again, like the old preacher would say, we need to stop looking for the full life and start living the filled life. In fact, I want you to look at your neighbor and announce to them the title, Running on Empty. I'm running on empty. Look at your neighbor and say, Running on Empty. Has anyone in here ever been running on empty? Like you cruised into church today sputtering because your tank was empty. I knew I should have got gas last night. I'm not necessarily talking about that, but you're empty somewhere. It just seems like... The emptiness of life, the nothingness of life has overwhelmed you. You see, that's where this narrative goes today. And what I wanna do is I wanna show you that the place that you call nothing, the place that you have labeled nothing, is the best place for you to be in because number one, it is the place that God can do his greatest work. But the second thing that I want you to see about that place called nothing is it is also the place that God is requiring you to do your greatest work Mm. just be seated you see that's where the narrative comes into play 2nd Kings Elisha is this incredible prophet Elisha is this man of God who has been performing these miracles all over the countryside but there's something distinctly different about this miracle There is something that is so symbolic about this miracle. This miracle is is small in stature. It takes only seven verses to articulate. However, it is a miracle that still resonates with our spirits thousands of years later. You see, because up until this point in, in Elisha's ministry... Every miracle that Elisha has performed has been the direct result of his willingness to be obedient. However, in this miracle, Elisha shows us that it's the recipient's willingness to participate in the process that ultimately brings about the miracle. She comes to Elisha and she says, I have nothing. I can't. It seems like everything in my life is messed up. I, I I, I have nothing. I have nothing left to give. I have nothing left to offer. You see, she's painting an image of the difficulties in her life because, you see, she's a single mom trying to raise two sons. And if that were not difficult enough, she's just become... A, a, a widow, just recently became a, a widow because her husband was in the ministry and he died and when he died he had no life insurance and he left her with a with a mountain of debt and she doesn't know what to do and all of the creditors that her husband had signed agreements with are now coming calling upon her to say you must satisfy this debt and if you don't satisfy this debt by a certain time then we're going to take your sons and we're going to sell them into slavery, we're going to take your house we're going to take everything you have in order to satisfy this debt and so So she's cried tears until she's empty of tears. She's found herself at the end of herself, at the end of her abilities, at the end of her rope, at the end of her talents, at the end of her resources, at the end of her know-how, at the end of everything, at the end of of impossibility. But now, all of a sudden, she remembers something. Hold on a second. There was a man that my husband worked with. His name was Elisha. And I know that all things are possible to him who believes. I know that even in my impossibilities that all things are possible to God. So she runs to this prophet, and she says to Elisha, Elisha, you remember my husband. You remember him. He worked with you. Creditors are calling, and I don't have the money to pay them off, and they haven't shown me any mercy. And if I don't give them money by a certain amount of time, they're going to take my kids. They're going to sell them into slavery. They're going to take my house. I'm going to be homeless. I have nothing and Elisha does something here Elisha he asked her a question while she's describing her dilemma he asked her a question he says what's in your house and I know this woman is thinking Elisha did you just miss everything I just said Elisha did you just are you like every other man and you just you have selective hearing Elisha, I just described for you what the problem is. I don't have anything, Elisha, nothing. What do you mean what's in my house? And you know that right now she probably is beginning to cry again. But in the world elisha I just told you I don't have I, nothing I have nothing I have no good relationships i I, I don't have a bank account I, I I don't have a job to be able to satisfy this this debt I, I don't have a 401k I don't have a savings account I I, I I don't I don't have what it takes to be able to satisfy these people who are coming and I've done everything that I can I've already told you I've sold everything that I could sell in order to satisfy this debt I have nothing I have nothing what's in your house what What's What's in your house? Nothing but brokenness. What's in your house? Nothing but bitterness. What's in your house? I'm friendless because of the grudge I've been holding. What's in your house? Nothing but financial despair because of the mountain of debt that I have. What's in your house? Nothing but shattered dreams of what could have been. What's in your house? Nothing but a marriage of what used to be. What's in your house? It's an addiction that I'm battling. What's in your house? It's the problem that's staring me in the face. I have brokenness with my children and they're not living for God. What's in your house? Maybe I haven't hit on the problem that's in your house. But whether or not the problem in your house can be labeled as truly I have nothing or whether or not because of your ungratefulness you've labeled it nothing because I know sometimes we have a tendency to pronounce the pronoun nothing over our lives because we are really ungrateful for what we do have. So whether or not you have nothing or whether or not there is absolutely this problem that's bigger than you or whether or not you're just ungrateful, this applies either way. You see, because God is looking for those who will not use what they have in order to find their value, but rather they'll look at who has them in order to see how valuable they are. God is looking for people who do not find their security in what they hold, but rather who holds them. God is looking for those who will get rid of selfish ambition, get rid of selfish agendas, get rid of all of the problems that they think that they can fix themselves and lay it at his feet. God is looking for those who will take what he's given them to further the kingdom. God is looking for those who will say, I don't know how to do what's staring me in the face, but I know God will make a way somehow. I know God can make a way even though I can't make a way. God is looking for those who realize that every good gift comes from above And that even though I have nothing, even if I had everything, it would be nothing in comparison to the majesty of God. Is somebody going to help me preach? Because God is looking for those who realize that even if they think they have nothing, whether they have nothing or whether they have everything, everything pales in comparison to who God is. That's the story, thank you. That's the story in this narrative. Here she is describing to Elisha, what's in your house? Nothing. She's outlining for him the details of the difficulties. I have nothing. This is the thought that I want to build with you today. That even though you may find yourself... At the place you call nothing, there is something about that place that God can do some miracles in your life, some miraculous things that you cannot do for yourself. You need to realize that that place called nothing, even if you don't have everything that you want, you have all that you need. Somebody needs to hear this. Even though you feel the demands of life, all you have to do is open yourself up for the endless supply of God. But on the flip side of that coin, God so desires for you to be engaged in the process of the miraculous. And Elisha is showing us that. He said, what's in your house? The woman's crying in front of him. She's done everything that she can do to get rid of the problem. But the problem has done nothing but become bigger and bigger. What's in your house? Nothing. You see, I think sometimes we need to do an inventory of what's in our house. I don't mean that we need to, Wendy, walk around our house and begin to identify everything that we have in our house. Like, "Mm, okay, I got four TVs. I got three bedrooms, three beds. I got two cars in the carport. I got a nice kitchen. I got an okay bathroom. I don't mean that. I mean we need to do a personal inventory of the spiritual side of our house. Because this is so beautiful. When Elisha said, what's in your house? She goes and she starts thinking about what's in my house. Well, I, I don't have anything less because I sold all the furniture and I sold all of this and I sold all of that. And then my husband's stuff that he had left, of, I sold every bit. of it. I don't have anything. Oh, oh, oh wait a minute. I, I do. I do have a little oil. Elisha was drawing her attention away from nothingness and placing it on something. <laughs> Hold on a second because you're missing this. What do you have in your house? I don't have anything, nothing. Oh, wait a minute, I do have a little oil. What you need to realize about a little oil is in the Old Testament, oil was the symbolism of the anointing of God, of the presence of God, of the favor of God. The oil was the representation of the Holy Spirit. What do you have in your house? Nothing. Oh, but but, but I, I do have a little oil in my house. Most theologians, let me just take a moment here and cultivate this thought with you. and Let me place on my teaching hat for a moment and take some time with this this thought because most theologians believe that the little oil she had in her house was probably a vial of oil that was left over from her husband's prayer ministry. So when she said, oh, I do have a little oil her mind was going to the fact of something material that she could put her hands on. That's all that I have is a little oil. But there was something greater that Elisha was trying to show to her, prove to her, open her spirit in order for her to receive. I've got a, a little oil. You see, what you need to understand is the oil represented the presence of God. It represented the anointing of God. It represented the favor of God. What's in your house? Oh, I got a little oil. You see, when you strip away everything in your house, when you strip away everything that you have, and when you surmise that you have nothing, you still have the presence of God. Oh, Lord, have mercy. So when you find yourself at the bottom, when you think you have nothing, there's nothing in your bank account, there's nothing in your career, there's nothing in your relationships, there's nothing in your emotional tank, there's nothing. You need to realize that there is no place that you will ever find yourself in life that the presence of God is not there with you. oh, I've got a little oil, I've got a little oil. You see, there's no no thing that any man can do to you that can keep God from you. Again, think about Moses who's in the desert, who's complaining to himself about the previous 80 years of his life. Reminding himself of his failures, but then God shows up and he's there in the form of a burning bush. I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were thrown into the fiery furnace and are about to die, but the Bible says, And the Lord was there. I think about Joshua who goes into battle after battle after battle after battle, and the Bible talks about him being worn, but then God shows up and he says, I know you're worn out, but you need to understand, I'll be with you everywhere you place your feet, I'll be there. I will never Never leave you nor forsake you I think about the 20,000 people who were standing in front of Jesus and their bellies are empty, they're starving but Jesus looks around and all he can find is a boy's lunchbox so he takes those two fish and five loaves and he blesses it and he fills the bellies that were empty of the 20,000 people, they're full with food and there's some left over, 12 baskets full are left over, I think about John chapter 4 when Jesus walks into this place, he sees this woman at the well and her life is empty because of the difficulties in her life but after her exposure to Jesus her life is no longer empty but it's full of the saving knowledge of Jesus i think about Jairus's daughter who's dead Jesus finds out about it he goes to the house he sees everybody in the house is mourning because she's dead the house is empty because everybody's crying it's empty with with loneliness it's empty with bitterness it's empty with pain and Jesus walks over to the girl he resurrects the girl and now there is no longer this emptiness of pain in in the place but now it is full of joy people are dancing people are praising that's what the bible is about it is story after story where god takes nothing and he turns it into something somebody help me preach today good lord have mercy the problem in life many times though is we miss the miraculous because we're focused on the nothingness nothingness We miss the miraculous because we're focused on the nothingness of life. Because life has a way of just chipping away at you. Life has a way of sucking the life out of you. We lose this or we lose that. We lose our job or we lose our finances or we lose our spouse or we lose our health and fear and resentment and bitterness and Anger begin to acquiesce with our lives what 's in your house nothing 's in my house you 're missing this because what elisha was trying to show her was that. While you've been trying to fix this problem on your own, while you've been trying to do everything, while you've been trying to do this and trying to do that, and you've been evaluating what you do have and what you don't have, and now you have surmised that you have nothing, while everything has been stripped away from you, the thing that is most important is still there, the oil, the presence of God. And I'm about to do something in your life. God is about to do something in your life through his presence, through his anointing. If you'll take what you have now, he'll bring about something that you've been hoping for because she's on a crash course with a loving God who can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you think, ask, or imagine. Why? Because we serve a God who was, who is, and who is to come. God fills. God fills those empty places. God fills them. God fills them. Look at your neighbor and say, God fills. But here's where it gets kind of difficult. Do you know why? Do you know what keeps God from filling us? It's our unwillingness to be emptied out for him. What keeps God from filling us is our unwillingness to be poured out for him. And so, therefore, we're unwilling to be poured out for God. We're unwilling to be emptied out for God. Therefore, we miss what God is wanting to do in our lives because we've taken the jar, if you will. We're going to read in a few minutes that Elisha looks at her and, she, and, and says to her, I want you to go to your neighbors and I want you to gather up as many jars as you can. All of those jars need to be empty. I want you to take them back to your house and I want you to begin to pour oil into those empty jars. The problem is, for many of us, we cannot receive what God wants to pour into our jar because we've already packed it full of stuff that we want him to bless. Ooh, Lord, isn't it quiet up in God's house? We want God to bless us, but the jar that we're giving him to pour into is already full of stuff that we want to be in there. And so we're so busy. We're busy doing what we want to do rather than doing what he's called us to do busy look at your neighbor and say busy this is free you need to just get ready this is a good nugget this is free it's not even in your notes but busyness is the antithesis of emptiness think about it in life we become so busy busy packing that jar if you will full of the stuff that we want to do but where's God at when's God we're so busy we're just so busy doing what we want to do that we miss what God has called us to do think about it if you walk up to someone you say how you been what do they usually say I've been busy man I mean I've been busy I mean it's just been busy where it's busy I, I mean good but I'm busy busy I've been busy, man. You just don't know how busy I've been. I've been, I had to do this and I had to do that. I'm busy. On one hand, we're complaining. We're complaining about the stuff that we have jammed into our jar. But on the other hand, we're bragging. (laughs) I'm so important that I'm busy. (laughs) My calendar is full because I'm important. I'm busy. Just busy. I'm I'm busy. And there's no margin in life for God to even do anything in and through us. I I, I don't want to start calling out the stuff that we're busy with. You know what those things are. I mean you're busy watching TV. And then we have like on demand, and so we can go back and watch twenty five shows that we need to catch up on. We're just so busy. I mean, busy. We're busy watching TV. We're, we're busy on the phone, you know, like Facebook and stuff, all that social media stuff. Hello. Just busy. For some of us, our, the greatest relationship that we have is our phone. Hello. Oh, no, he didn't. We're busy. And then we wonder where God's at in all of it. And we, we, we proclaim we have nothing There's just nothing. Listen, I wrote something down this morning I want to share with you. Can can I share it with you? Can can I share it with you? Here's, Here's the point that I'm trying to make. If the oil in the woman's house represents the anointing of God, grab this, if the oil in the woman's house represents the anointing of God, and now God is about to use it in the midst of her nothingness, Are you ready for this? Are you ready? The anointing of God then comes when you find yourself empty enough to receive it. Hold on. The oil has been there all along. The presence of God has been there all along. She has been talking about, I have nothing, but the presence of God has been there all along. Therefore, The anointing, the the oil that God wants to pour into your life only becomes powerful when you find yourself empty enough to receive it. And here's something else. The anointing only becomes as powerful as God intended for it to be when you pour it out. Hello? Hello? Let me show you something. Look at verses three through five. Let me show you this. Verses three through five. Let me read it. It says this. It says, Elisha said, Go around and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. Notice he said, empty jars, not jars that are half full of oil already. He said, You just go get the empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars. As each is filled, put it to one side. She left him, and she shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring over and over and over. Here's what I wrote. You've got to grab this. The key to this miracle is being empty enough to receive the anointing of God and obedient enough to pour it out. Lord have mercy, that's good. The key to this miracle is being empty enough to receive from God and obedient enough to pour it out. Notice he said, go and get me some empty jars. Notice he said, go and get me some empty jars. Did you hear me? That's not what Elisha said. He didn't say, get me anything. He said, you go and get yourself some empty jars. He's telling her to put her faith into action. You go and you get some empty jars, not full jars, empty jars. Why? Because God will fill our emptiness. You see, the anointing of God is not just for preachers. It's for everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus. The anointing of God is for teachers. The anointing of God is is for students. The anointing of God is for employees. The anointing of God is for employers. The anointing of God is for lawyers. The anointing of God is for car salesmen. The anointing of God is for it's for it's for artists. The anointing of God is for entertainers. The anointing of God is for any and everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus. And the anointing of God will enable you to take the nothingness of life and turn it into something because god will fill those empty places and i so wish i had a a lot more time so that i could just build on this thought i really need to move on but i also want to give you a nugget can i give you a nugget I, i took the time to give it to the first service and i just want to take the time to give it to you can i give it to you I want to talk about this anointing for a moment, because in the Old Testament, the anointing, the presence of God, the power of God, the favor of God, the Holy Spirit was referenced by mentioning the oil. It was symbolic of of those things in the New Testament, though, just before Jesus ascended to to heaven. 500 followers of Christ gather around Jesus and Jesus said, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait upon the Holy Spirit who will come and will fill you. And the Holy Spirit will fill you in such a way that he will empower you to have my presence with you everywhere you go. Hold on a second. In the Old Testament, it was the oil. In the New Testament, Jesus gave the Holy Spirit a name. He is the Holy Spirit. He will empower you. Therefore, my presence will be with you everywhere you go. You will be able to do what it is that I've called you to do. You'll be able to take the nothingness of life and turn it into something through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, hang on a second, because Paul goes one step further. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says this. He says, "...be filled with the Spirit." Hold on a second. So I have this imagery of this woman who's gone to every last one of her neighbors and she's been pouring oil into all of those empty jars. She's taken that little vial of oil, took the lid off of it. She began to pour it out. It filled that jar up. She went to the next jar. It filled that jar up. She went to the next jar. It filled that jar up. Over and over, she's filling jars up. Over and over, over and over, she's filling these jars up. And then I began to think about the symbolism. I thought about Paul's words, go and be filled, be filled with the Spirit. When Paul says be filled with the Spirit, he uses a Greek word for the word filled that is an action word. It is a verb. It does not mean to be filled one time. It means to be filled continuously over and over and over and over. So here is this woman. She says, go and get me all the jars you can get me. And she begins to fill these jars up one after the other. When she's getting low, she said, okay, I want you to go to the Rodriguez's house and I want you to get me a bunch more jars. Come on, keep the jars coming because I'm going to keep filling them over and over and over. Hold on a second Again, life has a way of chipping away at you That's why you don't just try to get filled one time You get filled over and over and over There's some symbolism here The woman is filling the jar Listen, we can't fill ourselves, but God can fill us We are the jar God wants to pour into our lives But the only way that you can receive what God has for you Is to be empty enough to receive it We have to place ourselves in the right position in order to receive what God wants to pour into our lives. And the only way to do that is to make sure that the jar is empty enough to receive what heaven is trying to pour out. think about this. God pours into your life grace, you pour it out. God pours love, you pour it out. God pours mercy, you pour it out. God pours forgiveness, you pour it out. God pours finance, and you pour it out. God pours all of these different things in your life. Love, and you pour it out. He pours all of these things into your life so that you pour those things out of your life. What you need to understand is that if you don't receive from God what you need in your jar, when all hell breaks out in your life, what is coming against you will overcome you because you don't have in your jar what you need to take care of what is standing before you. Good Lord, have mercy. Somebody help me preach. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. Grab this. Elisha is basically saying to the woman who said, he said, what's in your house? Nothing. Oh, but I do have a little oil. He said, I want you to go and I want you to get as many jars as you can get and I want you to start pouring that oil what he is saying to her is that you have a responsibility in the process of the miraculous what he is ultimately saying is this God is an ever present presence And the amount of the presence of God that you experience has everything to do with the amount of room that you make available for him to occupy. In fact, I wrote it this way. Let me me read it this way. It says, God is always an ever-present help waiting to fill us. But the measure to which we are filled is dependent upon the space that we have made available for him to occupy. Lord, have mercy. He's an ever-present help in a time of need. But the amount of God that we ultimately experience has everything to do with the amount of space that that we've made available for God to occupy. You see, you can have as much of God as you desire. But there is a major difference between wishing for more of God and making room for God. This woman made room for God. Let me show you how the story concludes. Look at verses 6 and 7. Because I think once this begins to resonate in your spirit, it will cause you to get on your feet because... It says this, it says, When all of the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Hmm. Wow. When all of the jars were what? Full. When all of the jars were what? Verse 7. She went and she told the man of God and said, This is what happened. And he said, Now go and sell all the oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on what is left. Hold on a second now. God's in the multiplication business. Not only does she have just enough to pay her debt, but now she's got enough to live off of. What she said, I have nothing, God took what was very little in her life as far as she was concerned, and what was very little was the anointing because it don't take much anointing to do what God can do. God will do things that are way beyond your abilities. He'll do exceedingly abundantly above all that you think, ask, or imagine. You see, I don't know if you've grabbed hold of this, but she said, I have nothing. What God did was right in the midst of her nothingness, he spoke something into existence right in the midst of her nothingness he said let there be I don't know what the molecular composition of oil is but what I do know is that God is a God of multiplication what you are failing to see though is this the multiplication process in her life took result or took effect took place in her life when she was willing to do some work in order to receive what God had for her you see what I'm trying to say is she would not have received all that she had received all that she did receive had she not gone to all of her neighbors and said, I need a jar. She played a role in the amount of blessing that she received. What I am trying to say is that some of you are getting small blessings in your life because you have small faith. Some of you are not getting breakthrough in your life because your prayer life has more to do with selfish ambition rather than what God wants to do in and through you. What you need to see is the amount of blessing that she received had everything to do with the amount of jars that she went and got the amount of work that she was willing to do the amount of things that she was willing to pour out even though she thought she had nothing she realized God was more than enough what i'm trying to say to you today is this some of you have been labeled nothing some of you have felt like you're a nothing in life but God works in the midst of what you think is nothing and he'll turn it into something what you need to do is realize you got to run on empty god will 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 do what you can. If you run on empty, you'll pour out grace. You'll pour out love. You'll pour out hope. He'll pour into you grace. He'll pour into you love. He'll pour into you hope. Somebody, come on, help me preach. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm running on empty. I'm running on empty. I'm running on empty. Everybody in this place, get on your feet. Get on your feet. Get on your feet. This is what I'm hoping that you'll see. The anointing that God has upon your life is on what you have now, not on something that you're waiting for. And if you don't use what you have now, it's going to be impossible to turn the nothing into something. Sometimes we just have to be willing to run on empty so that god can take that empty place and do something that we can't take credit for some of you have found your yourself in a place that you've called nothing a place that you've called empty but today if you'll do a spiritual inventory and you'll look around and you'll you'll be able to surmise the same thing the woman did and that is that she had a little oil that God's presence has been there all along. All along. His presence has been there all along. Because God wants to do the miraculous in your life today.